Hello, I'm Pastor Rob Spencer of Church United. We are excited because God is at work in our community of Christ followers. And it is my hope that God works in your life as you listen to this message today. If you'd like more information about Church United, please visit us at churchunited.family. We've been in this series, um, It's Not You, It's Me, uh, and, and the premise of this, and even last week we got into it, it's a really a relationship series. So last week we began diving in, kind of looking at specifically last week, uh, marriage. We kind of honed in on marriage, but we pulled out this verse in Ephesians chapter uh, 5, verse 21, that says, um, uh, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And what you have to understand about the Bible is when you're reading the Bible, you see, hey, turn to chapter 5, verse this or that or whatever. These weren't all originally in there as breakups. So when you read the Bible and you see here's this little section, it's got a subheading, it wasn't like Moses and Peter and Paul, all these ones that were writing certain scriptures that were like, well, let's put, this will be verse 7. Verse 7 will be a good one, and then uh, maybe what should we subtitle this chapter? Um, this wasn't how, they weren't writing a book they, it, with verses and all this, they were writing a letter, especially right now. In the Old Testament, they're writing historical things, there are different compilations of how the Bible's made up in the Old Testament, but really, then you have the Gospels in the New Testament, which are an account of Jesus' life, so it's history written down. Uh, the, the theologian Luke, or the historian Luke, was really a historian and is looked at as a historical figure. Then when it gets to these letters to the churches, you have Paul in this book, in the book of Ephesians, he's writing to a church at Ephesus. He's writing a letter to them just as their pastor. It'd be basically be, just think of this, if I went away on a long trip, and I wrote a letter back to you guys. I heard someone was saying, hey, something's going on at the church. This is happening. This is happening. Some of the things I'd write in that letter to you would be encouraging, like, yay, good job, guys. I heard you're doing this. You did an incredible job. And then maybe someone would say something else like, uh, hey, you should hear what Greg Knight said. Um, Greg really, he really laid into Jerry Showalter. They had a fight in the back, and fists were flying. And then I would write in this letter, hey, you know, let's love each other. There were these couple guys, we won't name them Greg and Jerry, but you know, there was a fight and you know, and then, so this would be what it is and then you guys would get it and you'd be like, boy, this is such a good letter. We want to read this every week. So we're going to put verses and chapters on it and subtitles, and this will be called the section of Jerry and Greg's big fight, showdown, you know, and that's what it's subtitled. But anyway, so they didn't have a fight, just so there's no rumors, there's no fighting going on, not yet anyway, they might afterwards. But um, so here's what I want you to understand this. This is why this is important. Because when we read through the book of Ephesians, we have to understand this is a letter. And the way that people over history have kind of broken it down is so that we can easily find our place. But there's a theme here, and sometimes what we do is we stop reading because we see like a little break there. It's like you're reading a book or something, and there's a little subtitle in there, and it's like, oh, this is a good stopping point. I'm going to put the bookmarker in, and I'll pick this back up later. And we do that with the Bible. So when we get to verse 21, a lot of your Bibles have a break right there. Between verse 21 and verse 22, there's a little subheading, and it says, 
oh, this is going to be now on husbands and wives. And then we get to chapter 6. Chapter 6 wasn't even in there. We stop, put the thing down, pick it back up again. Then it's subtitled. This is about children and their relationship to their parents. And we forget that there were connections made the whole way through this. And Paul wasn't actually putting his pen down, picking it up, subtitling. But there was a flow and a thought that went through here. And I don't want you to miss it because really it lands on chapter, verse 21 of Everyone submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, and what follows that then is a continuation of what relationships should look like, not just between husbands and wives, not just wives to their husbands, not just husbands and wives, but children to their parents, and actually even down to slaves and masters, and we'll see that in a second, and we'll talk about that, but really more for us today, employer-employee relationship, all relationships, this is a whole thing that all gets coupled together and there's not really a breaking point. So why this is important is because it helps us understand that if that's the goal is to submit to everyone, we have to then understand what the word submit means. We have to process that in our minds because if it's not really about the other person, it's about me, I have to understand what it means for me to submit. And here, even in this title of this series, I'm doing a lot of backtracking here, even in the title of this series, it's not you, it's me, what we're looking at here is this idea that we can all think of times when it isn't us, it's someone else. We wouldn't say that necessarily, um, and, and we don't want it to come out, but, and, and there are times when it really is the other person. You've done everything you could do, you're trying really hard in this relationship, you're carrying this thing out, and it really isn't you, it really is the other person. But ultimately, what this is about is saying, okay, if we're, if we're followers of Jesus Christ in this picture, rather than pointing the fingers first at someone else, I have to evaluate here first. It has to begin with me. So rather than, and, and the Bible talks about this, before you um, pull the splinter out of someone else's eye, which is a very vivid graphic image that sounds very painful, um, before you pull the splinter, I get it hurt like my little pinky, and it's like, but in your eye? That'd be crazy. Um, before you pull that out of someone's eye, pull the log out of your own eye. Okay, this is, the, this is the picture that says there's a lot going on with you that before you start pointing fingers at everyone else, you first have to look here. And you have to evaluate here. And we talked about the fact that relationships were never meant to be ended, but God designed relationships to be mended. Mended. And this idea then is all-encompassing of you, the me in there, because I have to figure out, first of all, before I can mend a relationship between me and Kelly, or between me and Greg now, because i got to make up with him and Jerry after church, before I can mend these relationships, i got to look here first and think, okay, what did I do? How could I have played a different role? How could I have been more Christ-like? How could I have been more loving? How could I have been more forgiving? How could I have been something in this that is not the other person's thinking you, 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 and I've got to think, okay, yeah, first me, 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 me. What is it between me and God? What is it that I wanted that I wasn't getting? What is it that's in my relationship that needs to be fixed? And first, I mend this relationship. So Ephesians chapter 5, really, Paul talked about walking in the light. And the whole idea is that that's what you need to work on as you look like Christ wants you to look. And our theme verse for this has been Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, which says, 
Love like Christ's love. Follow the example of Christ. Walk in love. So there's the picture. Live out love every day, and this is what, how we're supposed to navigate. Am I loving? Am I kind? Am I being forgiving? It, so we ask ourselves these questions. So last week we were in... Um, Talk, kind of talking about marriages, and if you didn't hear last week's message, I encourage you to jump online um, to, uh, what's the name of our church? Church United, um, dot, dot family. Um, go to the website and uh, click on the media tab in there, and you can find last week's sermon. But if you've ever wondered in your opinion or your thoughts on what um, uh, wives submit to their husbands mean, we covered that last week. And uh, really it boiled down to us, not just that, but it's everyone submits to everyone. This is it. This is what God desired us to do. Not because we're deserving, but because Christ is deserving, because he is worthy. So we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So we pick up here today in Ephesians chapter 6. So if you have your, uh, a copy of God's Word, you can pull that out. In Ephesians chapter 6, uh, some of the verses may be on the screen here. Um, and, 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 and we're really, again, I'm, I'm saying chapter 6 so you know where we're going, but you have to think this is a continuation, okay? So he just said, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is how that plays out in marriage. Now this is how that plays out with children's, uh, children's and, uh, and parents. Um, this is how this works out. So children... He says, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. For this is the right thing to do. It's just right. So if you're at home, you have parents, everyone in here has parents of some kind or someone that has played the role of parents in their lives. There's never a time where it says don't honor them anymore, like 18, like so graduates, you know, that wasn't like the cutoff of honoring the parents, you know, it's like I'm 18, honor is over. Um, that's not how it works. There's no cutoff for that. We always are honoring, honoring our parents for it's the right thing to do. If you wondered why, that's why, because it's right. Now, Honor your father and mother, you obey them and you honor them. This is the first commandment with promise. Now, I love this. So the first commandment that ever came out with, with like, okay, if you do this, here's the result. So if, if you ever wondered if I walk in obedience, if I make the right decision, if I do, sometimes, yes, great things will happen because you obey. This one comes with a promise from God that if you obey, if you honor, this is what happens. Things will go well for you. I love that. Because I know in my house, things will go well for my children if they obey and honor me. And I know that when things are not going well for them, there is a reason. Disobedience, not honoring. Things will go well for you. And I just think this is connected. And you will have a long life on earth. You, I'm not going to, I'm not going to take your life, son. Um, you know, honor me, you'll live a life, long life. I'm not going to wipe you out. Uh, but no, this is a promise that, that, that comes from God that says, hey, this, not only is it just the right thing to do, not only is it the wise thing to do, but if you do this, if you pick up this cause, if you're a champion of this cause, it will go well for you. Things will be good in your life. And I know that in my own life. As a son of a, a pastor, uh, a PK, I grew up with, with all the eyes of the church on little Robbie Spencer. And I knew the law that I was supposed to hold down at the church. 
And I remember one time specifically, the church was going through a building project, and um, they, they were in the midst of building, and they had gotten to where they'd built a basement, but they were doing it in uh, uh, like sections. So we raised the money, build the building, raise the money, build the next piece. And uh, they got the basement all done, but didn't have the money to put the top on it yet, so they kind of capped the top of that basement off for a while. And the, one of the biggest rules was don't throw rocks on the roof of the church because it's not really a roof. It's just a flat surface. And they put tar paper on it to try to keep the water out. They had all kinds of things going on there. There were reasons. But as a kid, look at this big, huge, flat space. And it's right here. And I bet you I can get a rock into that bucket someone left out there in the middle. And it's just so tempting because they've dug the foundation up. There are rocks everywhere. And my dad would tell me, no, you're the leader here. People are going to follow you. And I want to tell you, I was not the leader that day. I was following someone else's bad example. So he should have let me off. And I thought in my mind, well, I didn't start it. This should be fine. You know, Dad, some, they were doing it. They were doing it. They started it. Punish them. I picked up a rock. And it just seems like this. Do you ever notice that when you choose to do something wrong, and you consciously choose to go against something, it seems like your parents have this radar on them. And they just, it's like right at the minute, you know, and my arm was back like this, and I saw this, and it's like I simultaneously saw my dad walk out of the building like Superman. You know, and he had his hands, and I'm like, no! You know, everything was in slow motion, and he just was like, Shaking his head, slow motion, you could see fire coming up, just like <laughs> boiling. And, uh, and, and he, uh, oh, it did not go well for me. Um, I, I questioned the long life after that. Um, I was wondering, at least my, my, my butt had a few uh, less lives on it. I'm not sure what happened. But, uh, but it just it didn't, didn't go well. And, uh, and, and there were times like that that I remember. And even in my house, when my kids, and I've got, we've been very blessed. It's not come without hard work. Um, we, we work hard at making sure our kids try to stay in line. They're not perfect. You'll see them run around every once in a while and do something they shouldn't. Um, I just broke up a crayon fight this morning back in kids' ministry. They were throwing it over. My son Levi's like, Dad, someone hit me with a crayon. <laughs> I, said, I said, okay, um, I'm not dumb enough to believe that you weren't part of this as well because I live at home with you, so as soon as you tell on your brother, it's whoever gets there first to tell. And I'm like, I imagine you threw it. Did you throw one of those crayons? And then you could see, like, the dang it. Why did I do this? This was a bad plan. So, uh, we, you know, we walk in. All the kids are cleaning up crayons. Uh, but this is it. If you, if you do the right thing and, and, and it goes well for you, then obedience. And I, and I still am desirous in my heart now to honor my father. To what can I do for you? How can I serve you? How can I love you? And that's part of that mutual submission that we talked about last week. If um, we want to be the me's that we were meant to be, mutual submission is the mission. So even in a parent-child relationship, children to your parents, it's being submissive. But here's what I want you to understand. Parents to the children, there's also an element of submission, because the verse goes on, and he says this in verse 4. He said, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. 
Now this was huge in this culture because we talked a little bit last week about how the the power of men, if you had the might, it didn't matter if you were right um, and and whoever, it didn't matter if you were wrong, if you were strong, it was that kind of mentality that that, the boys rule, girls drool, and we'll do whatever we want you to, you'll do whatever we we want you to do because we're stronger than you. So it doesn't matter. And this was the culture that was there even between fathers in their homes as they felt they had authority and they showed their authority by flying flexing their muscles in the home and trying to get their children to do whatever they wanted to do, and they were exacerbating their children to anger. So what we see is, fathers, don't, don't provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Now, here's what I, I love about this picture. Again, authority. And and when we talk about authority, a lot of times we get this idea of authority is this, I've got the power again. It's a dictatorship. It's a tyranny. And that's not what authority is. And we looked at the authority of Jesus last week. And what Jesus did with authority is it, it tells us right before in the Last Supper, that whole event's going down, Jesus said he realized all authority had been given to him. What did he do with that authority? He got down on his knees and he washed his disciples' feet. That's huge. That's huge. Because what does authority mean? What did it mean to Jesus? Authority meant he had the power to serve. He had the power to love. He had the authority to insert himself in someone's life by serving them, not telling them what to do, where to go, where to be, and how to live. But he served. And that was the avenue of using his authority. So this is a picture for fathers in the homes to say, yeah, dad, good for you. Yeah, mom, good for you. You have authority over your children. Yeah, you've been given this authority, but rather than using your authority to wag a finger, to push down, to belittle, to tell them they're not good enough, that they're not going to get there, that you're angry at them for the way they're acting, and that they're never going to be good enough, to pu- instead of pushing down, we use that authority to serve so that we can build up others, even our children. And I heard a pastor say it this way once, this description of in his relationship with kids or how we often think as parents in our relationship with kids. Because ultimately, if I said in here, if you're a parent, raise your hand if you would be willing to sacrifice anything for your kids. Most of us are going to raise our hands as parents. The problem with this mindset, though, is that how we do it really matters because there's so many of us that would say, yeah, I'm willing to give and I'm willing to give, but we also in the midst of giving want to let our children know how much we've sacrificed for them. So it's not this selfless giving and just this teaching and hoping to raise, but instead raise up and understand what we're doing. Instead, we want to tell them, so, hey, son, I want you to know I could be driving around a little sports car right now, but I'm putting money in your college fund. So you can go to college, and I could have had, I could have been on the golf course today. I am working overtime, so you understand how much I love you. This is it. I love you enough to ignore you and work my tail off, so you can get a good education. And we want to assert our authority, but we do so in a way in our mind that says, I love them, but it's not exuding a heart of love. 
All it's doing is making them think that you want to control them, make them feel guilty. There's another thing that we like to do as parents, though, too, is that, that we, we not only want them to know what we're doing, but we want to see a reciprocation of this. So I'm going to do something for you, and the ultimate goal is not that you understand that I'm doing it and you're just served by it, but the ultimate goal is so that you will serve me back. So we put out these things like, okay, okay you know, you can use the car. You can go out. I'll stay home. That's fine. I'll stay home, but we need a gallon of milk. So you go out, and I serve you, you serve me, and then when they don't bring the gallon of milk back, when they bring the car back empty, oh, it's wrath. It's anger. It's upset. And I'm not saying that there aren't teaching moments here, but a teaching moment is not the same as belittling and berating and making our kids feel bad and to say that I did this for you, so you have to do this for me. But a heart of genuine serving looks different. A heart of genuine, like this mutual submission. And yeah, you're the parent. It doesn't mean, because there are some of you that also, this idea of mutual submission means the kids get anything they want. And I, that's not what I'm saying. Because that's not good parenting. But there has to be a measure and an element in your life as a parent where you realize, okay, I'm here also to serve not to serve so I can get something, but I am here to love my children and ultimately to teach them how Jesus loved rather than domineering and controlling. But we ask questions, how can I help? And in a way that doesn't mean I have to get something in return. Does that make sense? Okay. A couple of you shook your head, so that's fine. We'll move on. So... We move from this, um, we move from a picture of parents and children, and this mutual submission has to go beyond that, though, because it has to be controlling in every area of our lives. That everything we do, even in relationships that we don't really enjoy, we feel almost pressured into. And when we get a little further here, we get a little controversial maybe for today um, and for the last many hundred years here, um, that we get into this idea of slaves and masters. Verse 5, it says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them at all, all the time, not just when they're watching you. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Work with enthusiasm as though you are working for the Lord rather than for people. We're going to come back to that. Remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free. Verse 9, masters treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember you both have the same master in heaven, and he has no favorites. So if it comes down to this picture of mutual submission, and mutual submission is the mission, but it's a mission of love, that's why we do this. We want to emulate Christ. As we looked at in, in, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, 
It says, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. So if this is our mission, mutual submission, and mutual submission's basis is around love, and it's around serving and helping and, and, and coming alongside one another, and it's just actually asking this question even as simple as, how can I help you? It's preferring one another. This is what we're talking about when we talk about submission is preferring one another. When I submit to Kelly and Kelly submits to me, it doesn't take out a line of authority in the home. When I submit to my children, my children submit to me. It doesn't erase a line of authority. As we submit to Christ and Christ submitted himself to us as he served us, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, there's still a line of authority. What did Jesus do with his authority? He wrapped the towel around his waist and leaned down and he washed his disciples' feet. It didn't mean that he never corrected them because he rebuked Peter. He rebuked Peter for what Peter did. There's a lot of situations where sin entered into the picture and Jesus stood firmly on the truth, but he spoke truth in love. And not only did he, did, then, then did he discipline him, but then he turned around and he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He died on the cross for the forgiveness of their sins. Ultimately, he gave everything he had. That's authority. That's love. That's how all of us are called to walk in every relationship we're called to have. So if this is the basis, what the problem is, our minds just can't wrap around this idea of servant and master or ser servant and slave. It just, it, it doesn't go there. This, they, they, they don't jive. And what I want you to understand, first and foremost here, is this is not the Bible condoning slavery. This is not Church United talking about, well, if you want to do it right, um, this is not how this works, okay? So I want to be very clear on that. And we need to understand that this world is broken. So Paul is not condoning slavery. It was a reality of life during that time, and Paul was not speaking in favor of it. Rather, he is saying this world is broken, and it's sinful. The world that we live in is sinful, and slavery is a byproduct of that brokenness. And as followers of Jesus Christ, finding themselves directly living in this broken world, here's how to respond with the love of Christ when that situation is presented to you. So here's a perspective that can allow you to honor God in the midst of a situation that is very dishonoring to God that was completely out of your control. So this is the approach. So I want you to understand there's not an endorsement of slavery here, but that was the reality. And Paul says, and you might be able to understand what I'm talking about, have you been in situations that were outside of your control, that were not godly situations, but you find yourselves in them anyway? And the question is, how do I respond in the midst of this situation? So there's where Paul is speaking to those who found themselves in a position that wasn't a God-honoring position, but this is how they were to respond. What's the ultimate is the love of Christ. You're not doing anything for a singular person. Ultimately, if you're a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, everything you do is for him and for his glory and for his honor. So what I love about this is it really puts a new spin on why we do what we do in our relationship with others like at work, in a workplace. 
some of the teenagers or younger people, and I grew up in my home, I felt like my home was my workplace. I was always, uh, you know, so even in that situation, go do this, go do that, go do this. And, and, and ultimately, it felt like that. But I, what we know from this is that it's not about obedience. It's not about following the letter of the law. It's about the heart. It's about the attitude. If I, if I ask my kids, hey, can you go empty the trash? And they come back and said, oh, yeah, I emptied the trash. And I walk into my bedroom, it's all piled on my bed. Um, Yes, they did what I told them to do, but they knew that that wasn't what I meant. Um, so they were not obeying the heart of what I called them to do. They were just trying to be smart, Alex. Um, and, and not that that has ever happened. That did not happen. Um, I can think of some other things that have, but that didn't. Um, but anyway, so we have this, even in our workplace relationship, that we are in situations in our jobs that we're being told to do things that we don't necessarily agree with. Not that it's necessarily unethical, but it just might be dumb. Like, boy, I know that's my boss, but that was the dumbest thing that he could have ever asked me to do. How am I going to get through this with a good attitude? And we have to walk through those things. So understanding this relationship, and, and it says in, in verse 6, it says, try to please him, or tries to please them all the time. Try to please them all the time. So when you're in this relationship, you're trying to please them, not just when they're watching you. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Verse 7, work with enthusiasm as though you're working for the Lord rather than for people. So what this means is that no matter what the task is, no matter how much I don't like it, no matter how much I don't get along with this guy or this gal, no matter what it is, I'm ultimately not working in order to please that person. It re it's a reflection if I do something poorly. It's a reflection of my love for Christ. Now that hurts a little bit because we've all been in the position where like the stupid job Stupid task. I don't want to do this. This is awful. If they only, and then you have this bad attitude. And then we walk in and say, oh, well, if that's what he's going to get, well, I'm just going to show him the sloppiest work that they've ever seen. Then they'll never ask me to do that again. That'll teach them. Uh, we have these attitudes that we pick. I'm telling you, this is not pleasing to the Father. And he says, if you want to have a good relationship, no matter who the boss is, mutual submission is the mission. That the question we're asking for ourselves, no matter where that person is at yet, is how can I help? How can I serve? How can I love? How can I show the love of Christ in this situation? So, now, we quickly, quickly ran through some of that, but the question becomes in this idea of mutual submission. The question starts getting turned to, okay, I, I get you, but how far really, how far really do I need to carry out this preferring one another thing? I mean, I can think of a situation, Pastor Rob, that I could probably tell you, and you'd be like, okay, I got gotcha. you. You no longer have to forgive that person. You no longer have to prefer that person. You can kick them to the curb. You don't have to look at them. You don't have to do anything with them. You can hold bitterness and anger in your heart because that's all that they deserve. <clears throat> Excuse me. Peter had this question. It didn't sound quite like that, but I think this was behind the scenes of what was going on in his mind. 
So in Matthew chapter 18, Peter comes to Jesus and he says, okay, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? I don't know. Let me just pick an arbitrary number. Maybe seven times. Now, you can't tell me that Peter didn't have something on his mind. I think he probably just got off the phone with his sister. Um, and, and she's like, oh, Peter, mom and dad are having a wedding anniversary, and you got to pitch in money for this. You didn't do it. And he's like, oh, my goodness. I don't know why she turned Italian. But, um, but uh, maybe it's Greek. I don't know. But here's, here's Peter, and, 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 and there's something that's really bothering him. There's some situation, and he's like, I'm not going to give Jesus all the examples, but I know the answer is going to be good. And what I can do is I can go back and say, well, I talked to Jesus, and he's like, that's the last time I had to forgive you. And uh, I'm not forgiving anymore, and we're not talking anymore. We're all done. Sorry. And uh, Jesus didn't buy it. He wasn't going into it. And, and in Matthew chapter 18, verse 22, he says, no, it's not seven times, Peter. It's 70 times seven. And this is, I, again, it's not do the math and, okay, well, I got a little longer, but I'm going to get there. Um, I know this person's going to test my patience, and I can probably rack up some other things that I wasn't counting the first time. Um, but, uh, you know, I'll get there. I'll get to that number. It's, no, this is unlimited. This is forgiveness for everyone that asks for forgiveness. You forgive. And even if they don't ask, you forgive. That's how forgiveness works. And you don't ever get to a point in a relationship with someone else where you say, okay, you've met your limit. No, for, no more forgiveness offered. Now, let's couple this with verse or chapter 17 of the book of Luke. It says, so watch yourselves. If another believer sins, rebuke that person. Then if there's repentance, forgive. Even if that person wrongs you seven times a day, each time, and each time turns again and asks for forgiveness, you must forgive. Here's what I want you to understand about mutual submission. Mutual submission does not be, mean that you prefer someone else so much that you allow them to drag you into sin. Mutual submission does not mean if you're in an abusive relationship and someone else is uh, sinning against you and it's a dangerous situation. Mutual submission does not mean that you remain in that situation and you remain allowing someone to so much take advantage of you because of the sin in their heart that you allow that then to become sin in your own life. If someone is leading you into sin or that's just profuse sin, you need to get away from the situation. You need to step back, and you need to say, okay, mutual submission is the mission, but first of all, I submit to Christ. This person is not submitting themselves to Christ, so I need to remove myself from this situation. Ultimately, that doesn't mean you never forgive them, though. And that's what we're talking about. Forgiveness is different than trust. Forgiveness is different than sub subjecting yourself to a situation, even in a workplace where you are being abused, where you are being talked down to, where you are being belittled, where you are being put. That's not submission. 
We're talking about this mainly mutual submission works if there are two believers that love Jesus Christ and their heart is to serve Christ when they are mutually being submissive to one another, then this relationship works out. They first focus on me, how am I mending my relationship with Christ, and if I'm being the best me that I can be with my relationship with Christ and so's this other person, then this is going to be a great relationship. But when there's one person that is not following Jesus Christ, that doesn't care about Jesus Christ, is trying to lead you into sin, or is trying to harm you, there's a situation where it doesn't mean that forgiveness isn't offered, but you may not want to stay in that situation. And I'm not giving a carte blanche kind of a thing here to say, oh, I just got permission to walk away from that. If you need help, if you're in something like this, seek counsel. We have ladies here. If you're a lady in a situation, I know my wife would be happy to talk to you. I know Carissa Knight would be happy to talk to you. I can think of other ladies that would be happy to talk to you. If you're a guy and you're in some kind of situation, you need advice, I know Jonathan, I know myself. We would love to meet with you and have a conversation with you. We have elders here at our church that would love to sit and chat. But I'm just telling you, that's not what we're talking about. So this isn't to say, oh, i got to be submissive and i got to continue putting up with this. But ultimately, it doesn't mean forgiveness isn't offered. We always offer forgiveness. There's never a time Jesus is being nailed to a cross and his words are, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And that may need to be your response at some point in time to some, in, in your life with someone. Father, forgive this person because they don't know what they're doing. But I can't continue to stay in that. And ultimately, mending still happens in that relationship, but the mending doesn't mean that the relationship always comes back together. The mending may just be between you and God. Does that make sense? If I said things that are confusing, send me an email. I'd love to talk to you about it. But I feel like so often we're looking for ways to get out of things. And this is what mutual submission does for us. Mutual submission brings us to a place to understand that I need to always offer forgiveness. I need to always be at a place where love and shining the love of Christ through my heart and my life is my first priority. That walking in love as Christ walked in love is how I begin to mend relationships. The band's going to come, and we're going to sing a song to close. And the song is all about the grace of God, that God's amazing grace that can cover a multitude of sins, that can cover a multitude of problems in your life, that God offers through his grace forgiveness in love. But I want us to remember this as we're, we're closing today. Everything we do, we don't do it to please people. We do everything not because people deserve it. We do everything not because our boss is reasonable and kind. We do everything not because our parents are always worthy of our obedience. We do everything not because our children are always respectful to us, but we submit and we do all this submission. We prefer one another before ourselves because that's what God desires from us. That's why we do what we do. And God is always, always worthy. So when we think about what this means and how we submit, we don't serve one another because we're deserving. 
God's deserving. God is worthy. And I think Romans chapter 12, this passage in verse 9 sums this up pretty well. It says, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tight to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and delight in honoring each other. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the, the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. We need to rest on that one a little. Don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. And do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Imagine if that were the hearts of just this group in this room. Imagine if that were the, the bottom line of where we were at, that we had a heart and desire, just this group in this room, just a couple hundred people that said, we are going to be about loving Jesus, and we are going to be about striving to live at peace with people, to walk in harmony with people, and everything we do is going to be about loving God first, and therefore, everyone around us is impacted by that love. It changes our position, not only in your personal relationships, but in the community, that we are a church that loves, that we're united together, united together, serving together in the love and the heart of Jesus Christ.